Good morning. Oh, you're very funny. Yep, here I am again. Okay, I pastored this church for 30 years. Now, one time did I ever get to go to Israel. Andy's here one year, one, and gets to go to Israel. I, I mean, I just, not that I'm bitter, but I'm bitter, all right. Andy's doing a wonderful job. In case you haven't figured out, he and I are close friends. I love him to death. He's doing a fantastic job leading the staff and the staff leading the church. And you have been so very, very supportive. People have asked me, you know, Pastor Ron, how's the church doing? It's doing wonderfully. Attendance is fantastic. The giving is so generous. The ministry continues to expand. Pastor Andy is teaching us some very practical things about opening up our homes, about meeting people in our neighborhoods, about being a part of our community. And and I'll be candid with you, I don't like anybody, okay? It's not easy for me. I am very much an introvert, but I am working my way through that and going out to dinner with people, meeting my neighbors, know my neighbors on both sides of my house, know the neighbor across the street. I'm working at it because Pastor Andy is helping us realize that this is a part of being a Christ follower, is loving not only God, loving not only those of us who are in the body of Christ, but loving our community as well. And so I appreciate the leadership he's showing our, our church and staff. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at our sermon notes. If you'd like to follow along in the sermon notes, they're available on the app that you have on your phone. And we're going to talk today about wanting wanting or desiring. And wanting has such a, such a huge impact. In fact, there's a book out entitled Wanting, and it's on this idea of what's called mimetic wanting. In other words, imitative wanting. But it desires a funny thing. There are a lot of things that we think we desire that are actually someone else desires that we've picked up. But today I'm going to tell you two stories, and they're two stories that Jesus told that are about wanting. And if I don't warn you about that up front, sometimes you won't, people won't realize that's what these stories are about. They are about desire. All right, take a look in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 with me. Jesus is speaking here. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. In other words, that, that always wanting more. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you got plenty of stuff, plenty of stuff laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get your stuff? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, Jesus tells another story in Luke chapter 15, and we call this story the prodigal son. Even if you didn't grow up going to church, even if you didn't go to Sunday school, anything like that, most people have at least heard that term, the prodigal son. Now, when we use the term prodigal, what we're talking about is a child who leaves and then returns. You know, in our culture, after college, there have been a lot of kids moving back in with mom and dad, and and so people will teasingly say, oh, the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, talking about someone who leaves and returns. 
But that's not what prodigal really means. Prodigal means someone who spends all their money foolishly. And so he's called the prodigal son. That's what, how we refer to this story because he gets his money and he goes out and he blows it all. All right, take a look in, math, I'm sorry, in Luke 15. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Now, this is a story Jesus is telling. He is not telling parents, yes, you should divide up all your stuff and give it you know, to your son or daughter that asks. When I was a kid, if I had said to my dad, Dad, I want everything that's coming to me, my dad would have said, well, son, close your eyes. It'll be here any moment, okay? And so it, it just, it would not have ended well for me. But this is a story. Not long after, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth, prodigal, squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. Now, Jesus is talking to a primarily Jewish audience here. What he's trying to communicate to him is he was so hungry, he was even willing to do that. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, this is how I know this story is about wanting. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. Dad wanted his boy home. Take a look at your notes with me if you have them open. Are we wanting because we want, or are we wanting because of other people's wants? This question's tougher than it sounds because most wanting is mimetic. As I mentioned to you, there's a book entitled Wanting about this theory of mimetic wanting. In other words, imitative wanting. Those humans are master imitators. It's one of the things that, that we're just really good at. In fact, we can even discern what someone else is wanting by their gaze, someone looking, and so our gaze will turn to follow their gaze. The question, is it my want or is it someone else's want that's influenced me? It can be a tough one. Clothes, cars, houses, jobs, and most everything you buy are greatly influenced by a broad mimetic wanting we call trends or fashion. Have you ever gone into a house? Let me ask you this question. If you went into a house and you saw a kitchen that hadn't been remodeled in a really, really, really long time, how would you describe that? Turn the person next to you and how would you describe that kitchen? You might call it old-fashioned, but how many of you would call, say that it is dated? Raise your hand if you use that. Dated. Dated is a pejorative term. In other words, dated, they're, they're, you can't look at anybody and say they are dated in a nice way, okay? 
You can't look at a person's kitchen and say, oh, that kitchen's dated. You can smile, you can say it lighthearted, you can giggle, you can do whatever. There is no nice connotation to dated. You look at a kitchen and it's dated, a house that's dated. You look, you, what you're saying is, no, 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 that, that, is, that is bad, okay? In fact, it's funny how we're influenced, and it's not just houses, a car, you know, if you look at cars, you, you, you can tell the cars that are popular, the, the cars that, you know, everybody wants because those cost more. And no one woke up this morning and said, you know, I'd really love to just get an old beater car. You know, just, I just, I just like to have an old beat up car. I just like to, you know, I just like to have one that's all just dented in. Nobody, nobody wants that. In other words, we have been trained to want a particular thing. We've been trained to want a particular look. And with cars, what we will do is we will stretch to, all right, what is the nicest we could possibly, along with the help of the bank, afford? We'll stretch to that because we've been trained that way. An awful lot of wanting we think is ours, but it's actually mimetic, imitative wanting. Tell the person next to you, what decade of clothes are currently back in style? Turn to the person next to you. What do you think? What'd you guys come up with? No, it's the 70s. Some of you girls, you went down to, to the mall, you bought just the latest thing. My wife had that same pair of pants, 1974. In fact, she should have just kept it. I mean, uh, pants, tops, shorts. I, I, I mean, like I'll, I'll see young women come, coming out of the mall, and I'm thinking, yeah, Debbie had that outfit. Yeah, she had that one too. Debbie and I have been together since the early 70s. I, I know what she wore. Uh, in, in fact, how many of you, well, I'm not even going to bother with that. It, it's just, trust me, it's the 70s. Now, you say, well, Pastor Ron, you know, I, I know because I remember the 60s. I remember that. No, no, no. It is the 70s. Well, how is it that, that that came back? It's because our culture decided, oh, that looks nice, and they recycled it through. Friends, there's a scene in, how many of you have ever seen the movie, The Devil Wears Prada? Raise your hand if you saw that. It, it's not a Christian film. I'm not trying to promote it or something. I'm just saying it's, it's a good movie. But there's this one scene where the star kind of giggles. She goes to a table and picks up a belt, and they, they all look the same to her. And she kind of giggles. And the lady who's just kind of known as, she's the devil in the Devil Wears Prada. She's just kind of mean. She says, you know, you kind, of, you kind of laughed at that. And then she explains to her, everything you've got on, I decided in this office, and she began to name the year, that top, that sweat, that skirt, those shoes. No, she began to tell, when I decided that you would wear that. And that's exactly what happened. So much of what we want is decided for us. It's really important to be able to discern, is this my want or is this, this someone else's want? Look at the next one with me. Do we even decide pretty do we decide handsome or attractive? Now, it seems like, oh, shoot, Ron, we've got to be the ones who decide this. There was a painter by the name of Rubens, and if you see his paintings, you'd recognize them because all of the women in them are what we would describe today as, what's a nice word, voluptuous, hefty, fat, 
Debbie and I were, were walking through. I think we were in Washington, D.C., and they were having a, a Ruben X. We were walking through there, and Debbie says to me, Honey, all of the models, those are, those are good-sized women. And I, I said, Yeah, that's what was attractive in the 17th century. Uh, Paul Rubens was from like 1640, somewhere around in there. And I said, that's what was considered attractive. People didn't have a, a ton of excess calories. Someone who, someone who could have a, a little fat on them, that was considered, you know, that, that's something that people aspired to. And she looked at me and she said, so what you're telling me is we were just born 400 years too late. <laughs> I'm not sure what she meant by that, but I think I'm offended, okay? <laughs> Friends, we are influenced even... See, some of you have, have met my wife. You may have wondered, how did an attractive woman like that... And just trust me, my wife, you know, she's always very attractive. I mean, she caused car wreck. I mean, you know, she's just... Uh, you may have wondered, how did she end up with, you know, me? I got there just in time when the culture decided smart is the new sexy. Okay. <laughs> and that's true, and boy, am I glad. <laughs> okay. Most mimetic wanting, it, it's relatively harmless. I'm not trying to tell you, okay, you got to start wearing ugly clothes. You got to start wearing weird. I'm not, that's how much I, most of imitative wanting is harmless, but it can become a problem when it makes us, our, makes us judge ourselves harshly, leads to poor physical or emotional health. Sometimes people get the idea that, well, man, I, I, I need to look this way, and they will go to such extreme lengths to look this way. In fact, people who are working hard enough, hardest to prove that, well, I, I, don't, I don't care what anyone else thinks. What they're doing is they're just deciding what group they want to please. They're just choosing the wanting that will be chosen for them. Friends, I'm not saying that wanting what other people want is a bad thing. What I'm saying is it's important for you to know the difference. And if it's starting to cause health, psychological problems, emotional problems. In our culture, we are placing an incredible amount of pressure on especially young women to look a certain way, be a certain way. Friends, we've got to, especially as Christ followers, we've got to develop the, the vocabulary to be able to affirm one another. In other words, to tell people that, that we have value irrespective of whether or not we measure up to a cultural standard of too thin, too fat, too bald, too short, too tall, too anything. And when it begins to weigh on us, we've, taken, we've allowed momentic wanting to go too far. When it leads to coveting and greed, coveting is not just saying, ooh, I'd like to have that. Coveting is when we look at what someone else has and says, well, we deserve it more. I should have that nation. And, and there's an element of anger to it. Or greed is where we just can't be satisfied. There's just never enough. There's never the point where we say, okay, God has blessed me so much. Anything else that comes in, man, I'm going to use it to be a blessing to others. Or the third one there, when we become trapped in an unsuitable path because of it. In other words, we begin to tell ourselves, I have to be this or do this or go here because that's what I'm supposed to want. When those things happen, now imitative wanting has become detrimental to us. So in number five of your notes, it says this, if it's important, make sure it's your want. If it's important, what you wore today, what you chose to wear, not particularly important. What you drive, what you don't drive, to be candid, not particularly important. If the car got you from here to there, it's doing the job. Just a lot of that stuff, choose, don't choose, choose what the culture likes, choose what the, the trend is, update your kitchen. None of, that, none of that is particularly important. But if it is important, 
You need to make sure you know whether the choice is yours or you're just wanting what you've been trained to want. Let's look at three characters from our stories. Here's the first one. The rich man who couldn't be satisfied. There's an old story about a guy named Joseph Heller. Joseph Heller wrote Catch-22. He's had a party with another author, and the guy throwing the party is really, really wealthy. And the author tells Joseph Heller, who'd made a lot of money from Catch-22, he tells him, you know what? This guy makes more in a month's time than you've ever made from all the sales of your book. And by that time, Catch-22 was a, a huge seller. He had made a lot of money from it. And Heller turned to him and he said, yeah, but I've got something he'll never have. He said, really, what's that? He said, I've got enough. Friends, recognizing what enough looks like. The rich man, he wanted more. Why did he want more? Been trained his whole life that he's always supposed to want more. How about the second character, the son? He wanted satisfaction. He wanted something that was going to make him happy. He wanted something that was going to gonna just, just, just make his life complete. And so his friends and the culture told him, well, go ahead and do this, this, and this, and man, everything in your life will be great. So he went out and did this, this, and this, squandered all of his money, and ended up in a really bad spot. He followed the path that the culture had told him would bring satisfaction. But how about the third character, the father. Was this a cultural want? I don't think so. The culture didn't care anything about his son. The culture didn't care anything about their relationship. The father wanted the son. How do we know that? Because I showed it to you in the scripture, didn't I? It says, while he was yet afar off. How could he see him while he's far? Because he's standing there watching, wanting, longing for him. Friends, if it's important, Make sure that it's your choice. The father knew what he wanted, and he knew why he wanted it. So, how can I tell the difference? How can I, Pastor Ron, how can I separate wants that are maybe are being influenced with things that I really want? Let me give you just a few ideas. Here's the first one. If you've got three or four wants, write them down and put them in the order of what you want most strongly. The things you want most strongly tend to be more likely to be your wants than a cultural want. So just list them out, prioritize them, and the ones at the top list, those are more likely to be yours than just our cultures. The next one, try it on. Now, this is really important. Those of you who are making career decisions, it's important to try things on. Most people are making career decisions these days based on what sounds good. And so they'll say it out loud. Well, if I was, and they'll say, it, how does that sound? Friends, the, a career path is not about how it sounds. It's about your gifts, your passions, your abilities, finding that nexus, and then going out and, and going down that path. But try it on first. Now, I went to law school. And to be candid, I went to law school because I wanted to finish my degree. And when I went to finish my degree at Cal State Fullerton, there was a line, okay? Now, this is absolutely true. I went to Cal State Fullerton, this is before you could do online registration. I went there, and I was going to have to register in person. And the line was like 3,000 people long. And so I thought, well, this isn't a good idea. So I walked across the street to the law school. There was no line at the law school. Before the Lord, this is why I went to law school. 
So I go in there and I talk to them and they said, well, take this test. So I went out, signed up, took a test and did well on it and they gave me a scholarship and, and so everything worked out really well. But I had no intention of practicing. People ask me, you know, did you enjoy practicing? Well, I practiced different times, but I never had any intention to. I only did it when I needed money, okay? And so, you know, I, I, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I was already in ministry at the time. But so many of the people that I went to school with went out and became attorneys, and then a few years later, they weren't anymore. They went out and tried it on. Friends, if you're going to choose a path, you need to try it on first. You want to be a police officer, which is a noble profession, but you need to try it on before you go down that path. Become part of an explorer, explorer program. Become part of a ride-along program. Make sure you know what you're getting into. Try it on first. There's a book entitled Becoming an X. This was written by a lady who'd been in one calling for many, many years and then left it. And she did a lot of research on adjusting. She said, you know, people think they choose paths, but really what they're doing is they're just trying them on to find out what fits. A few years ago, I had started teaching for Azusa Pacific University, and, and I really loved the kids. And I, not kids, they were actually uh, adult learners, but I really loved them. They were a lot of fun. They enjoyed teaching the classes. But I found out that I hated the paperwork. I hated grading. So in my class, just everybody got an A. Okay, it was just easier that way. I was happy, they were happy, everybody was happy. And so, you know, I just hated the paper. I hated all the, the detail work. I, I, and then they came out and they said, well, you, you gotta start, you know, you gotta start keeping track of your time and we have to pay you this way. I said, I, to be candid, I don't really need the money. Why don't to, you know, I just, they know you have, it, it just, even though there were aspects I love and it was a wonderful organization and a great school, I found out that, no, I tried that on, and it just didn't fit quite right. Friends, have you noticed that many of you are doing all of your shopping where some strange guy brings it to your door? You know what I'm talking about? When I was a kid, you could do that. People think this is a new invention. Okay, you could order from the Sears catalog. They would mail it to you. That was all of my life. This is nothing new. What changed? They made returning stuff convenient. That was the change. Nobody would buy a pair of pants from Sears by having to mail it to you unless there was no Sears in your town. Because if they didn't fit, it was a hassle taking them back. What they did was they made it easy to return. Because if it's not easy to return, who wants to buy clothes or shoes online? But they made it easy to try it on, and if it didn't fit, send it back. This is the, one of the ways you determine your real wants is you try it on and see how it fits. The next one, be honest. Are you moving a goalpost? Have you ever noticed that, that we get a house and man, that house is just perfect. It's the perfect size. It's got, it's just, it's just, man, we prayed we get approved for the loan. We were just so happy when we bought that house. And, and then five or six years later, we see a new track going up on Cross town, and we think, ooh, man, I'd sure like to have one of those. Have you noticed that, that you were so happy at first, and then over time you decided, ooh, I need bigger? This is what happened to American housing. In the late 60s, the average American house was only 1,100 square foot. Early 70s, it grew to about 1,500 square feet. In 1973, my family my mom and dad, my brother and I, we moved into a house that had 1,948 square feet, and man, that was a big house, okay? 
well, now 1,948 square feet, would be one of the smaller of the models of any new track going up. There are track homes that have 32, 34, 3,600 square feet. Houses grew. America has reached the point, first time of any culture in, his, culture in history, this is something to be proud of, we have reached the point where there are more bathrooms in houses than people. My wife and I, we drive up, and we, I don't know where we'd been, we'd been a long way, right? So we pull in on the garage, she said, I get the bathroom first. And I said, honey, there are four of them in there. There's only us, all right? I mean, just pee wherever you want, okay? It's, it's just, but we, what happened, we keep moving the goalpost. You get a nice car, now you start making more money, so you need a nicer car. You start making more money, well, you, now you need a nicer car. Start making a little more, now you need a bigger house. Constantly moving the goalpost. You gotta be honest with yourself. Is this something you want because you really want it, or is this something that you're just moving the goalpost on? No, the next one, write down your why. Is it because I need it? Is it to help others? Is it for enjoyment? And I'm not saying any of those are, are wrong in any way. I, I hope you enjoy stuff. If there's something you need, I hope the Lord blesses, with, blesses you with it. But make sure you know the why of the desire because sometimes desire grips us and it consumes us. Make sure you know the why of it. And then finally, is your want in alignment with what you were created for? God created you for three things to be in close connection with him, to be in close connection with others, and to do the good works that God has prepared for you in advance. Ephesians, I think it's chapter two, it'll say it in your notes, to do good works that he has prepared for you in advance. That's what you were created for, close to God, close to others, to do the good works God created in advance for you to do. Is my want in alignment with those three things? Those are some ideas to tell the difference. The other day, I was, I was at dinner. It was evening. I think Debbie was out of town. And I get this call, and it's my youngest son. How many of you know what, from a loved one's voice whether or not something's wrong? You guys pick that up, right? There was the, just the first word out of their mouth. I answered my, my cell, and he said, Dad, and I said, what's wrong? And he said, Dad, the car's been stolen. Now, he doesn't have a particularly nice car, okay? I don't mean to give you an idea. It's just, it's an Acura. He fixes it up as he has money to. The other day, I had to fix the transmission, and, or actually, he had to have the clutch replaced. And, and you know, he had driven over to our house and, and, and pulled up, and, you know, it needs to be repainted, and he's saving up money to paint. He just fixes it up as, as he needs to, but I can hear in his voice, and man, he is upset. Dad, the car's been stolen. And I said, son, are you sure? Because when he was a teenager, he called me one time and said his car had been stolen, but he was at the mall and had just forgotten where he parked it, all right? So he'd walked around for 20, 30 minutes, couldn't find it, it'd been stolen. I said, are you sure? Dad, I'm at your house. And so, you know, my house is kinda, kinda up on a, on a hill. There's not a whole lot of obstruction. You can see everything. He said, I pulled up, parked in, fr parked in front of the house, and you know, I, I went in, I said I was only in, inside for 10 minutes. Mom called me and asked me if I'd go over, and I think she sent him over to water a plant because she didn't trust me to do it. So she went, he, go, he said, I was only in a few minutes, and I came out, and it's gone. And I said, okay, call the police. The, we live in Carlsbad. I said, call the police. I said, there's not that many ways out of Carlsbad. Call them. They'll put out an APB, and then we'll see if maybe they can find it. 
And so he calls them, and Carlsbad were great. I mean, in two and a half, three minutes, there was a couple squad cars there, and, and they could tell he was shook up. And, and like I said, it's not, it's not that it's a, a, a huge, valuable car. But for those of you that are kind of new to Cornerstone, I lost my oldest son 14 or 15 years ago. And that car was his older brother's car. And so when he called me, that's what I heard, is I heard that, Dad, I am hurting because I've lost this. And so as they get out there and they get the description. He couldn't remember the license plate number, but they were able to, to look it up and they put it out at the police department. They were, they, were, they were just great. And they said, you know what, let's walk the neighborhood. Maybe someone saw something. Now, it was evening. and I mean, it was just pitch black. There aren't many street lights on our street. And I said, it was just dark. And so, you know, I said, we're, let's just go. We're going to talk to some of the neighbors. Maybe somebody saw something. So they go, go walking out. And the policemen, they knew that he was shook up. And so they're just talking to him. said, okay, you know, we know the make and model. But kind of tell us what it looked like. And he, he said, well, you know, it, it's black. And it, it's got, it's two-door. And it's hatchback. And, you know, it's about uh, 18 years old or so. And, and so, you know, they're, they're walking along. And, and he said, you know, he said, it looks a lot like the one in that guy's driveway. And they said, really? He said, yeah, it looks a lot like that one. They said, well, let's go talk to him. So they go walking down, and they look inside, and he looks inside, and he said, that's my car. And so they look in, and the guy comes walking out, and he said, whose car is that? That's mine. And it wasn't in the driveway. It was actually on the lawn next to the driveway. Remember I told you it had some work on the clutch? Still in gear, brake still pulled. They have to loosen the brake cable to work on the clutch, but it had rolled down the hill, crossed the street, and into this guy's yard. Didn't hit any cars rolling down the hill. Didn't hit the guy's cars. Didn't hit his house. Didn't hit his fence. Didn't hit his tree. Just pulled right in there, backed up in there. So he called me. He said, Dad, we found it. I said, man, I can't believe it. When I told you the cops would find it, I really wasn't trying to make you feel better. He said, no, Dad, we found it. I said, who took it? Well, Dad, then he tells me the story. And I said, well, son, that's the second time you've called me and told me your car was stolen. Because I remember everything. But, you know, I thought about that in this prodigal son story. I thought that's kind of the way a lot of people are down the hill, in the dark, with the Father watching for them, wanting to find them. There are some of you that are watching online, that it's time to come home, it just is. I know we've been through a lot in the last two, three years. And if you live out of state, we're so glad to have you be a part. If you physically can't come, we understand. We're grateful anything we can do for you. But for those of you that can, it's time to come be a part of the community. For those of you who are here, that when I say your relationship with the Father is kind of down the hill and in the dark, that resonates with you. You say, ooh. 
yeah, I, I really, I've really been kind of far from him. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. No, I, I'm saying you're the son, you're the daughter he's looking for. I'm not trying to condemn you and say, well, you're doing all kinds of bad stuff. No, I'm just saying sometimes we find ourselves just slowly rolling down the hill. And we don't notice it till the distance reaches a certain point. Then we begin to realize we, we feel kind of kind of far. Maybe it's your relationship with God. Maybe it's someone that you love and you're allowing the distance to just slowly allow you to roll away. Bow your heads with me for just a second. God created you for closeness with him. He stands and looks and watches and when he sees you take a step, he runs to you. That's what the Bible teaches. I want to pray that if there's one or two here that maybe you're feeling that distance. That now I'm not as close to God as I, as I should be. Or maybe you're not developing the relationship with other Christ followers in your community that Pastor Andy's trying to teach in all of us. Or maybe you've just been neglecting those things that, that God has placed in your path that he created you for, those good works that and you could do Lord Jesus, for whoever this might apply to, without condemnation, without judgment from me or anyone around us, Lord, we just ask, draw us close. Draw us nearer. Lord, nearer to you, nearer to one another, and to the purpose that you created us for. And so, Lord, as an entire congregation, our prayer today is this. Please draw us nearer to you, nearer to one another, and nearer to the purpose that you created us for. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me? I love you an awful lot. It's my privilege to come and talk to you. God bless you.